0: Hardini's
1: media. Totally Football Show. Today, Europe. We're talking the mysteries of the continent. Why Xavi took a pass at Barca. Why Haaland went to Dortmund. Why Pardieu went to Holland? And it's Ashley Young to Inter actually going to happen. All that and all the latest league news in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello there, listener. First Euro show of this new year, and we're joined by Alvaro Romeo. Hello, James. James Horncastle. Hello. Raphael Honigstein. Hello. And Julien Laurent. Bonjour.
2: Bonjour to you, Julien. Bon année.
1: And to indeed all of you. Hurrah. It's been an exciting <laughs> start to the new, to this 2020, as they're calling it. What are the big stories around the continent? Julien.
2: It was the PSG Monaco 3-3 on Sunday night, which was an incredible game to start uh, 2020. And especially with PSG playing those uh, four Fantastics up front and not really going the way that Thomas Tuchel and the players themselves wanted it to.
1: The four Fantastics, as they're known. Fantastic. Uh, Rafa?
3: guess the two biggest uh, teams dominating the storylines, as usual, Dortmund with uh, the coup of pulling off that uh, Erling Haaland transfer, despite plenty of other interest. Uh, Paco is still may be going as well, so keep an eye on that. But um, Bayern doing the opposite, trying very hard to sign one and not really succeeding, apart from a goalkeeper who arrives next summer but has already provided plenty of controversy this winter.
1: Oh, I think I know the man you're talking
0: about. We'll hear more <laughs> about that later on, Alvaro. It's been a really good weekend in Spain oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so because uh, the Spanish Cup and the Spanish Super Cup perhaps needed a bit of a, a change of a format and we have had it this weekend with the Spanish Super Cup being played in uh, in uh, Saudi Arabia uh, with four teams playing I think that uh, morally speaking there is uh, plenty to discuss about this move but at the same time perhaps the Spanish Super Cup uh, has gained some importance from now on especially being played in the middle of January Real Madrid won it and then the Spanish Cup um, is more interesting now because they play to one leg instead of two legs, and that opens up a little bit the competition for uh, smaller teams that uh, normally don't have any any chance of staging in the last sixteen round.
1: Right, smaller teams like Unionista, who have game getting for very For example, about.
0: yes, brilliant. And of course, there's the news about Ernesto Valverde. Yes, Ernesto Valverde has been sacked as a Barcelona manager after two and a half years in charge of the club. Two straight titles, won as well. Yeah, had to go. Brilliant. (laughs) Meanwhile in Serie A, James?
1: Well, all the top sides faced each other this weekend. I think some of the games that they they put on were
4: really uh, good value, entertaining. Uh, Juventus are winter champions, two points ahead of Inter after their win in Rome and uh, Inter's draw with Atalanta. Um, Niccolò Zagnolo, uh, one of the players, suffered the ACL tear and uh, is now in doubt for uh, the European Championships in the summer. Um, big blow for for Roma and for uh, for Italy and uh, Zlatan is back, James. No Not way. First start. He's already scored as many goals from open play as Christoph Piontek in all of this <laughs> season.
1: Interesting. All right. Well, it's City hour that we're going to start with, and that's
5: after this. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. <laughs>
2: Il raddoppio del Milan. La sigla è quella di Zlatan Ibrahimović, diciannovesimo.
1: Right, City Not just Zlatan, is it?
4: Uh, right okay. no, it's not, James, although they're talking about actually bringing that statue. Uh, yeah. Which has been vandalised outside of Malmo. They're bringing it, bringing it to
1: Milan, okay. where it'd be... You know, it'd, after, yeah. I, sh- I should explain this. There's, there's huge stories. And, James, you're very, very keen to start talking about Zlatan <laughs> immediately. I Media, go on then.
4: Well, yeah, because I think um on the one hand uh, there was this fear with Zlatan, and yeah, it might still come true that um he would be as disappointing as say Kakao was in his second spell at Milan, Shevchenko, even Rudhullit. Um and instead, um in his first start, he immediately delivered and in fact I think made Milan um better in that um they've struggled for goals from strikers all season. Uh, I mentioned that Piontek stat at the, at the top of the show. Um, Leao hadn't scored either since the end of September. He was their most expensive signing of the summer. And um, that already looks like a quite uh, exciting strike pairing, really. Mm. Um, and um, you know, Zlatan interviewed afterwards, as charismatic as ever, kind of saying, is this the first step to you extending your contract, having it renewed because it's performance-related? And he was very much so no, I have to win the title in order to do that. And I think that's going to be very hard. But um, I think already kind of setting new standards for Milan. It just yeah, brings that uh, added X factor, I think, uh, to the league, even though he is 38, becoming, what, the fifth oldest goal scorer for Milan right. um, of all time. The oldest scorer in Serie A this season at 38. And uh, I think you probably picked up Gazetta today, um, James, and saw that uh, he was their second quickest player. Um, as yeah. well, the, that's, 32 that's kilometers true. an hour was his fastest. No, the, the, the speed gun had him at that. Behind uh, David in, Calabria, in the
0: car. <laughs> he
4: only
1: ran nine kilometers, but he did bust a gut on
4: but one he ran stage. Them very,
3: very
1: quickly. Yeah, and he's also what the first player ever to score in four different decades. Or well, he certainly he? has now scored yeah, in four yeah. different decades. Because wow. his Awful. first goal, first professional goal, was in 1999.
3: With, with Although Malbert. strictly speaking, as yes. you know. What? The decade hasn't actually started yet.
0: Why? It's 1 to 10, 11 to 20. Yeah. If listeners, 21 to 30. I'm if sure listeners want
4: to find out more, Rafa will answer their the questions on no, no. Twitter after.
3: Alvaro just explained. Yeah.
0: yeah. All right.
1: good okay. Well, that puts that in perspective. <laughs> uh,
3: <laughs> also, in other news, also, so pretty
4: should pretty say p- Milan had failed to score in yes, the last three very games. Very good point. Um, but and
1: a t- 2 win anyway here, uh, away to Calgary, who have suddenly started to fall apart, rather. Yeah. Worringly. Four straight
4: losses. Mm. Um yeah, the revelation of the first half of the season. I haven't really been able to get over that uh, stoppage time loss to Lazio, James. Yeah, Lazio, who
1: keep on winning. Winning late. It's what they do. Right. Well, they were one of the three really big games at the top of the Italian table this weekend. They were at home to Napoli, celebrating mm-hmm. their 120th birthday. Although it's probably their 119th, ref. I don't know. We'll, we'll check on that <laughs> later on. And celebrating it with a late victory, thanks to an appalling... A bit of play from uh, former Arsenal goalkeeper David Spina Yeah, did you hear the Gary Birtles commentary of that? I did not. How did it go? David get rid. Don't try and be clever. I'll be clever. Right, I've got dispossessed. He does well immobile. Defender's still going to do better than that. Don't put your arms around him. Sorry. I wouldn't be putting my arms around him. He's cocked it up. So uh, that's their 10th win in a row. That's a record. It
4: surpasses uh, Sven-Goran Eriksson's achievements with the title-winning side. Um, Interestingly, for their 120th anniversary, they're also wearing the kit um, that they wore when they last won the league title as well. An omen, perhaps. And Simone Inzaghi was asked, you know, what does this team lack to become a title contender? And he was like,
1: little or nothing. And uh, I think they're legit. I really do. They're four points behind Inter, who are two points behind Juve.
3: I'm pretty sure sven and Eriksson has also scored in four different decades. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Laurie well, Dunsire cool. was at the game. Laurie says, awful game. I can't believe Lazio managed to win it. Barely strung two passes together in the second half. I think that's unfair. But Napoli were the better side.
4: Napoli like. were the better side in the, in the second half. Um, I think they had to defend very well in the opening 45 minutes, particularly... The last five minutes before half time, where Milinkovic Savic kept getting in behind, um, they kept creating uh, for him as well. But this is what um, Lazio do you can never switch off against them. Um, they've scored, what, 13 goals now in the final 15 minutes play. Um, and um, it's clear that they really believe, and so they should really, because what we're in three and a half years of Simone Inzaghi now. They've won the Cup. they won the Super Cup twice. Um, they beat Juventus before Christmas twice within a fortnight, 3-1 on both, both occasions. And Immobile continues to do the extraordinary. He's got 20 goals in, what, 17 games because Lazio have still got a game in hand. Um, he is one of only, I think, four players to have um, scored 20 goals in four consecutive seasons in Serie A, and he's keeping... Yeah, very lofty company in Battistuta, Meazza and Nordahl in that. Um, and he's on target at the moment to to eclipse what Gonzalo Higuain did in his final year of Napoli where he scored, what, 36 goals in a single season which was a record, it broke a record that stood since 1950. So it's the mark of a of a champion that I'm not saying that they are favourites by any means but they deserve to be talked out of as a title contender um, that they win sometimes ugly and they they did that against calorie and they uh, did it again against napoli
2: and also they won't play in europe anymore this season because they're out of the europa league and Mm. like inter in the europa league so Mm. thursday and sunday combo and obviously juve with the champions league who can go fast so that just a one game a week could make a big difference
1: now the other two big big games for juve and inter who were level on points coming into the round but juve won away at roma largely thanks to roma yeah. and uh, Inter managed to squeak a point against a rampant Atalanta side.
4: Yeah, I thought Inter were very lucky, um, particularly on the balance of play in the second half where uh, Atalanta completely dominated um, you know, if you look at kind of possession, passes in opponent's half, passes into the penalty area, no contest whatsoever. Well, shots as well, 12 to 3. Well, and, and this is the thing, they, they hit the the post, they hit the bar. They should have had a penalty in the first half for that Lautaro Martinez tap tackle. He um, could also play for the uh, the Pumas as well as the, uh, the <laughs> Albi Celeste, right, I nice. suppose. Um I thought Inter started the game well. First ten or fifteen minutes, Lukaku looked very good, linked the play, bullied Palomino, um, but Atlanta just got stronger and stronger and stronger, and Inter ended up pinned back in their their own half. And yeah, they had a couple of chances towards the end, but mainly from kind of individual efforts like Brozovic with that kind of mm. sombrero control and shot. Um, but once again, Atlanta's failures from the penalty spot. Ends up costing them. This was the eleventh penalty they've missed on the Gasperini. Good lord! Um, and they keep trying different players. It looked like Muriel, who scored, I think, his last ten out of ten, um, finally misses, and or at least it was saved by Handanovic. Oh, uh, well, it was, and it was, it was a great save. Handanovic now matching Gianluca Paluka as the the goalkeeper who saved the most penalties in the history of Serie A with twenty four. Mm. Right, um, and Handanovic is had to come up big for for Inter on a number of occasions, particularly when they beat Lazio at home at San Siro earlier in the season. Um, you know, again, one of those wins that I suppose now you look back on and take for granted, but Inter in the first half of that game, again, were lucky and Handanovic had to keep them in the game. So Conte afterwards, once again, using this as a excuse to... Complain about his squad and how thin it is, and how, you know, if we suffer one or two injuries here,
1: or we had one or two suspensions there, then. The, the club um, are answering his, his cool by the looks of it. I mean, the Gazette today listing five or six names that who could, could well be on their way in over the January transfer window. You've got obviously Christian Eriksson, who was Arturo Vidal, <laughs> Olivier Giroud. Uh, who else is on that list? Ashley, Young. Ashley Young, of course. Rakitic yeah. was there. Rakitic was there yeah, as Rakitic
4: well. Rakitic, I don't think, will will happen. I think they've got other objectives in midfield. Um, Vidal, I think... Kessier he's, from Milan? Yep. Um, I think that's a swap deal that Milan are reluctant to do,
1: uh, right. at least at this moment in time. What about the Ashley Young... Because that's a, a, that's a deal, or a prospective deal, that has uh, excited a lot of comment... Uh, on Twitter, on social media. Yeah, I believe that they've agreed terms with the player. Um, they have to sort
4: it out with Manchester United. And why have they done that? James? Because he's a, he's a wing-back. Um, they play 3-5-2. Um, I think they feel that they're they're short in that area, in that Lazaro, who they spent £25 million on in the summer, um, has had an up-and-down start to his life in Serie A. is always injured. Cristiano Biragi was signed because they needed someone to fill the homegrown player criterion. Again, he's been inconsistent. Um so I think Young is someone who they they feel can certainly do a job there. And in other positions, I think Vidal's move, I think that was a priority for Conte, but it's complicated by the situation at Barcelona with the the managerial change. Um because the new manager will come in now and basically look at, yeah, is Vidal someone who I can work with, does he fit in our plans?
0: And also, if I may, uh, Barcelona has loaned uh, a midfielder, uh, Carles Aleñá to Betis, so Barcelona doesn't have as many midfielders now right. and they should keep Vidal or it will be important for them to keep him. Okay, what about Christian Eriksen
1: then? Diamond Light says, where exactly would Eriksen fit into this current Inter team if he makes the switch?
4: Well, if, uh, if you've watched into this season, um, particularly when they've got um, Stefano Sensi, Sensi plays higher up the pitch than the other midfield players in an area where you'd expect Christian Eriksen to play as well um, they've also sometimes tried to adapt how they played rather than just 3-5-2 to the 3-4-2-1 with two kind of link players behind um, Romelu Lukaku that's been Alexis and Lautaro in the past so I think there's room for Eriksen in that um, I think what's interesting is that um, Inter I think initially were attracted by the, the opportunity Eriksen presents in that he's free in the summer Ericsson is is represented by an agent whose only client is Christian Ericsson. So in some respects, getting to the summer and pocketing a transfer fee-like commission uh, would be in his interest. But I think in some respects, Kane's injury changes that um, because Spurs need a striker. I think they need to bring in money for a striker. And one of the ways to do that is to to bring in money from Christian Ericsson. And that's why you've seen Christoph Piontek floated as a, as a name for Tottenham in this transfer window
1: and what would you how would you evaluate that deal were it to happen
4: well look a year ago he was the hottest property in Serie A um, he moved for 34 million um, to, to Milan kept scoring uh, when he went to Milan um, he is a goal scorer but that's all he is um, you know he is I think a passenger when his team um, don't have the ball he is not someone who combines and links uh, the play um, I think you know. Again, in some respects, you look at Spurs' decision to sell Fernando Llorente and think that was an error. But um, yeah, I, I, I would also look at Piontek's motives here. Um, I think it would appeal to Piontek, but ultimately, you're going to go to a club uh, who, in April, are going to play with Harry Kane again, perhaps. And how much game time are you realistically going to get for a guy who's 24? Um, he needs to be starting and leading a team from
1: attack. Into with their third draw, anyway, with that 1-1 against Atalanta. Third draw in five games. and sk- it's Because they're scraping the barrel, as Conte says. Mm. They're running on vapour. Slipping two points behind. But you.
4: I love my players. Olivier, I love my players. Olivier
2: Giroud, Olivier Giroud is coming as well. Yeah, so Giroud will join. Right. So is that going to happen? Yeah. It will happen, I think, if, if Chelsea lower their financial expectations cause okay. right now. Asking for and, 10 million and euros.
4: Chelsea, Chelsea love Conte. Yeah, that's the problem. So they don't want to, you know, they don't
1: want to cause any kind of complications. That makes complications. sense, yes. All right. Conte, by the way, who is... Uh, some way along his transformation into a late period, Sophia Loren, I realise. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Have okay. a look at the two yeah, yeah, side by yeah. side. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's happening. <laughs> uh, but anyway, they're two points behind Juve now because Juve won 2-1 at Roma on a night that was disastrous for the Giallarossi and, and, and not just for the scoreline.
4: Yeah, I mean, they lost Nicolas Zagnolo after half an hour. A lot of comparisons drawn in the time papers on Monday morning with uh, Ronaldo's injury, the original Ronaldo. Right, when, at Lazio. At Lazio, um, when he was coming back uh, from a knee injury. Disturbing, really, to see him so upset, in tears,
1: um, and then stretch it off. It was a strange one as well, because he went on one of his classic runs, mm. skipping by the opposition players, and then there was a... Mon um, contrasto, but not a particularly uh,
4: No, I mean,
1: it, he just uh, went down and, and started... I've seen on social screening. media some
4: people trying to blame Delict and Rabio. Mm. but I, I don't think they make any kind of decisive contact there. Um, there was some speculation on Italian TV uh, last night that he he was all, not already going down, but the knee, let's say, blew out um, and then provoked him going down. Right. I think it's also quite interesting that... Roma played on a pitch that had been played on just 24 hours beforehand because Lazio played there uh, against uh, Napoli. The reason why they did that is because the Italian Football Federation needs the Stadio Olimpico towards the end of the season to get it ready for the the European Championships in the summer. And Diego Perotti, the Roma winger afterwards, was
1: saying that pitch was not up to the standard of a Serie A game. Right, and Zanionio not the only player to suffer on it because the scorer of... Uh, Juve's first goal, uh, Demiral also uh, going down. Now, what's the what's the latest on his knee? Because there was some talk of it being ACL for him as well. Yeah, so
4: that's been confirmed this morning. He had a, um, a scan at uh, Juventus's bespoke medical facilities, J Medical, um, and yeah, he will be he will be out as well. Again, there's been some speculation on the recovery time, but um, I mean, you see Zaniola's mother coming out um, today saying that he's desperate. He wants to be back in time for the Euros. Right. There's been a few questions to us about that. What I would say is that, I'm not going to get into his recovery time, but Zane only only played two games in qualifying uh, for Italy. Um, The last um, two, he scored twice in the final game against Armenia, the 9-1 win. But typically in in that position, we've seen um, Chiesa or Benedeschi play alongside one of Belotti and and, uh, Immobile. And Insigne's place on the left side has been pretty much... Unchallenged. I think the preoccupation for, for Mancini is that Benedeschi isn't playing for Juventus and Chiesa, um, his head's either been elsewhere
1: for part of this season or he's not been playing very well. Mm. Zaniolo has. Okay, well, best wishes to him. A couple of other little stories just before we wrap things up for Italy. One is, lovely to see Claudio Ranieri oh, yeah. roaring clear of the relegation zone with a massive 5-1 win at the weekend over Brescia with Sampdoria. They'd scored only um, six
4: goals at home in the league all all season. Um, They get five after going behind uh, Mm. against Brescia as well. And Ranieri's done a a very good job there. He took over one at the bottom of the table. They're now five points clear. um, And I think um, since he's been in charge, the only team that have got more clean sheets than them in Europe's top five leagues is Real Madrid. So it's very much kind of back to basics, 4 2, even though they had suspensions at the back yesterday. So they had to play a full back, Vasco Regini as a centre back, and Chabot, this young, I think, German, um, there as well. He's got Qualierello scoring again, because Qualierello wasn't scoring under Di Francesco. And yeah, Ronaldo Vieira as well, the England. Under-21 international, practically playing every game all season and, and doing well. There's been interest from some Premier League clubs to to bring him back here. But um, I think he's very much enjoying his time there. So, yeah, things going well at the moment for Sam really turned things around. If they'd taken some of their chances, Gabbiadini, for example, against Milan last week in right. 0-0, could be even better.
1: But still doing pretty good. Fabrizio Miccoli then. Oh, what's happened oh with Miccoli? I haven't seen this i been away. So he's finally been. Do you remember this story? Oh from, yeah, with the math. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. With the maf- Well, yeah, with the Mafia. <laughs> yeah, So uh, this is it. the Ro- Ronaldo of the Salento.
4: Yes. Yeah. Who also bought one of Diego Maradona's earrings. Oh, did he? Didn't he? And he was. He he wore that. Yeah.
1: Nicolì, who came through at Lecce, had a great spell at Perugia, went to Juve, and got
4: uh, mojied and then ended up at Benfica. He went right. to Portugal Palermo as oh, yes. well
0: at the end of his career.
4: Well, yeah, Palermo, I think, is where. People remember him,
0: yeah. right? He played Fort so well I remember. It's
1: him. brilliant, mm.
0: but he had
4: uh-huh. some
1: dangerous liaisons, <laughs> he didn't <certainly> he? <laughs> that was the thing. So this was a story actually from uh, 2017, where it turned out that he had got well. Uh, Mauro Laricella, who's the son of uh, one of the Palermitano bosses, uh, uh, Calza Antonino, who's known as Ushintoluni. It says here because of his uh, passion for elegant clothing, right? Ushintoluni. Anyway, so he got the son of Ushintaluni to apply pressure in some delicate manner on a uh, person who hadn't paid a friend of his some money. And the son of Ushintaluni has, has been sent down for mm. uh, for violence. And and now Mick, Mickley, who was actually found guilty back in 2017, the decision's been finally confirmed, three years in jail. Wow. Okay. So I
4: mean, this practically ended his career um, because... Um, Palermo decided that's enough uh, we're done with you and um, as with all of these investigations I think Italy is one of the most wiretap countries mm. on the planet if not the most wiretapped. <laughs> and I think one of them,
1: um, I think they were driving past the memorial to Yeah, he's G- walking past uh, Falcone's old house actually Yeah. And, they, and he makes a comment, a disparaging comment about the, the famous anti-mafia uh, which Pocautore. was kind of that's it mate, sorry, yeah. you're out of here yeah, alright then Go watch these goals on YouTube though They're stunning They are <laughs> <laughs> They are Magnificent Alright well uh, Loads more excitement to come We've got a question about Verona We maybe will touch on that later In their wonky lines mm-hmm. But up next France Everyone remembers that time You've had that peach of an accumulator Looking good Only for Oh and the keepers let it Slip through his legs In the 94th minute Or The right back has to Pull on the gloves And face a penalty or
6: Man United have again conceded a late equaliser.
1: But with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker, you get a free bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acca lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, minimum odds of 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive, exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus B, On
5: Spotify, Smart Speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media.
1: OK, Jules, let's get some French drama. Oh, yeah. Big game this week. weekend. PSG taking on Monaco. Monaco's new manager, Roberto Moreno. Hang on. Isn't he the guy who we last saw in tears? Yes. <laughs> Didn't he betray Luis
4: Enrique? Yes, he betrayed. betraying Luis um,
1: Enrique and the,
0: with the Spanish national team. What's going on there? Yes, and when the news broke, it was the 28th of December that he was going to sign for Monaco. Right. Uh, we all thought that it was uh, a joke because the 28th of December in Spain is the April, equivalent of the April Fool's Day really? here in the UK. Why? Why, Alvaro? We commemorate what King Herod was doing to children. And uh, basically, the innocents are the children that Ah, Herod killed. Right, so you the innocents
1: of people, perhaps. Uh, Maybe not. But anyway, but it turned out to be absolutely true
2: that Roberto Moreno
1: has now taken over from Leonardo Jardim.
2: Yes, exactly. Jardim, who got a a second check, paycheck, obviously, for being sacked twice in a year. Uh, The first one was just over €8 million. The second one, a year later, was just below €8 million. It's still a good, like... Sixteen million euros. Did they well, not just keep him on gardening leave, like no. the Italian style? Well, that would know, be ironic because well, his name is literally <laughs> <the> Garden. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great, but no, we don't do that in Monaco, and not so much in France. So, Jardim out of the door, and then we thought for a long time that Marcelino, the former balancer manager, was going to be the the one. Uh, but uh, Petrov, the uh, Monaco sporting director or like vice president who runs the club, decided to go for, for Robert Moreno despite mm. his lack of experience because he's never been a number one manager in a club. Only uh, he, he had a good spell with Spain with seven wins and two draws in the mm. nine games, uh, you know, after Luis Enrique and before Luis Enrique as well. Uh, but it was a bit of a risk and he's done extremely well so far. How did his first game go, Jules? So they won in the cup, in the French cup against France 2-1. And okay. that was a bit, we could see the intention of how they wanted to play and he's very much, because he was also Luis Enrique's assistant at Barcelona and he's Catalan, this is very much the idea and the philosophy is to play with a lot of possession and a high press. Uh, although that win against Hans was a bit, was not the most convincing. And then it was that trip to Paris at the Parc de France against PSG where I think a lot of people thought that Monaco would get absolutely battered by Paris and instead they drew 3-3 and they played really well. He uh, he started with a team in 4-3-3 formation and very quickly changed to a 4-4-2 to exploit all the spaces left by PSG and they did really well. They could have probably even won the game, they had enough chances, they could have lost it as well because PSG created a lot but it was a very interesting one on Monaco's side. They're now 8th in the table and clearly the only way is up. and Moreno already in just the space of two weeks, less than two weeks, has changed a lot of things.
1: All right. Talking of the spaces in behind with PSG, they were lining up with a 4-2-4 so they could get Di Maria, Mbappi, uh, Neymar, and the other Icardi. one.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Icardi. <laughs> How can you forget Icardi? Mauro
1: Icardi. Uh, and Mauro Icardi in there. Now, I presume that, that following this draw and indeed them conceding three goals at home for the first time mm. in nearly 10 years, there's a lot of people asking about the wisdom of trying to stick all four of them up front together.
2: Yeah, and this this is the debate that will continue between now and the uh, the first leg against Borussia Dortmund in a month, and this is also the debate that we've had for the last two weeks on can Tuchel actually do that in those big games. The players keep saying, and Neymar being the first one on Sunday night as well on French television, saying, yeah, yeah, we can play in Europe like that with the four of us. Obviously, it's... It's pretty obvious that it's quite an unbalanced team then, because you are left with only Verratti and and Gay defending when you lose the ball. And even if you ask Neymar and Di Maria and Icardi and Mbappe to try to defend a little bit and make the runs and or press or things like that, they are not naturally do it. So the question is, can Toure actually do it? And last night, again on Sunday night on French television, he was saying like, "I never said this was the answer. You people, you French media, have said." he's found the right formula, he can play with with those four fantastics because PSG beat Saint-Étienne 4-0 and 6-1 in two games. But Tuchel said, I never said that I was going to play like that against Dortmund. And I think he knows, and even if it would be hard for him to pick one of those four to drop on the bench, he knows that if he plays like this against Dortmund, over the two legs, they might just be knocked out because they, they leave too much space, they concede too many chances. Monaco had 14 shots on Sunday night, which is the most PSG has faced in like years and years. So... I don't know if he will be bold enough to try it. It can work mm-hmm. and they can win 4-3 and 5-2, for example, for, for all I know, against Dortmund. But you could also you could also lose 3-2 each time and then you say, well, you know, we told you not to play like that. I so say it's a tricky one, but right. you could see why he wants them four to play together.
1: Um, esque, it's fantastic. It is, but Neymar As was
2: incredible on Sunday night. He, he really was. had one of those games where he was almost unplayable.
1: Five points now, the gap between leaders PSG and their nearest rivals, Marseille who are on a wonderful run. 25 points from a possible 27, beaten in eight, under that man André Villas-Boas. Kevin Strootman
2: coming on and scoring the winner away at Ren. It's a game that should have finished nil-nil, and AVB said after the game they, they should not have won it, but Strootman was very opportunistic. It was a free kick by Payet that hit the post and Strootman was there. Hadn't touched the ball since coming on a couple of minutes earlier, and and scored the winner. And and right now, everything is just going Marseille's way. And and in in many respects, they deserve it because they've worked really hard, and AVB have them well-organized and structured with a lot of energy and intensity. And even when you win those games that should finish in a draw, usually, it shows that you're on the right way. And what's interesting, PSG have a game in hand, which is on Wednesday. Against? Monaco. Monaco. In Monaco, so this is the second leg of that, that game against Moreno and Monaco, and then let's say PSG lose that one. You know, it's a five-point gap with Marseille, and then right. it's almost Realistically,
1: I mean, PSG are not going to lose lose this title. No, but, I
2: don't think so, but it's interesting.
1: It is interesting. What I was also curious to see was the fact that there's a, a big and very, very fancy new TV deal in place for the French League for next season, which yeah. might see a little bit more competition for the title how, how, how big is it how does it compare it's to it the other European league richer
2: he would make PSG richer <laughs> but he will also make the other teams <laughs> richer which is interesting yeah it has gone over the billion for for the TV rights which right. is very good and and you hope that teams like Lyon and Marseille uh, Monaco as well and Bordeaux those kind of teams will use that money to invest some clubs not as big, maybe. I've already sort of anticipated a bit like what club do in the championship in England, right. hoping that they go up and those hoping that they can build on good results and and for when that money comes in. But it's, I think it's a good it's it's a good time and the league is shaping well for 2020 really. And when Lyon, for example, played really well on Saturday against Bordeaux and won that game with uh, Rudy Garcia, will not sell Dembele and Tuzar uh, won to an English club and the other one to Arthur Berlin Uh, and they've got another young player called Maxence Cacré who's only 19 from the academy who's looking very very good as well in midfield so in Lyon and in Marseille and in Monaco as well and with Paris things are starting to to get into places and it's interesting Jules I know you're keen to talk about the team that's bottom of the table to lose who have now lost 11 games in a row indeed 10 10 in the league and 1 in the cup and they were 2-1 up in the 72nd minute right uh, against Brest at the weekend, and they conceded four goals in 18 minutes to to lose the game 5-2. To lose What's interesting as well to yeah. to lose the game is that uh, just before just before Christmas they had a game, and two of the players were caught watching the classico on their phones on the bench, which is quite unusual, <laughs> really. When they were playing at Lyon, and one of the Lyon fans was sat in the stands and at some point looked towards yeah. the Toulouse bench and could see. Uh, two of their players with the phones between them and the Classico literally live on the phone and they were watching the Classico on the bench instead of watching their team being beaten by Lyon. So they got suspended for a little bit and now they're back in the team, but it's quite a funny story. Just, just nothing is going for, for Toulouse at the moment.
1: Uh, ooh, Dan Atkin wants to know, he says, my club, Sheffield United, have been strongly linked with Adrian Tamezzi. Yeah, Tamez, Tamez from Nice. Okay, what can you tell us about him?
2: He hasn't played much this season. He's a very uh, physical and energetic defensive midfielder who's okay. good on the ball. He's interesting because he could have gone to Spartak Moscow uh, a year ago and, and Nice were happy to sell him. The money was good and he decided to stay and then it didn't really work out for him this season. But it would be a good addition to the way Sheffield United are playing. I think he's got all that energy and that intensity in his game uh, that could fit what they're playing like at the moment.
1: Very nice. Okay, up next we'll hear about the uh, craziness going on currently in Catalonia. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Barcelona won the last two Liga titles, top of the league, let's change manager, they say in Catalonia. So off they went to see Xavi and his club Al Saad over the uh, Christmas period and offered him Valverde's
0: job, Alvaro. That's true, and that's the way it is. And it happened. It's uh, it's funny that it happened when Barcelona did one of their best games in the season. Uh, however, they lost three-two against Atletico de Madrid, despite having deserved. This uh, was in the Super Cup in Saudi Arabia. Yes, it mm. was the semi-final of the Spanish Super Cup, which uh, this year uh, it's been played by four teams. Mm. Um, then Barcelona lost that game against Atletico de Madrid, and the day after, after Messi saying um, we still trust in our manager and. Um, A Vidal, an another representative of Barcelona, travel to Qatar. To see allegedly Ousmane Dembele who is recovering from his injury there in Qatar and they also met Xavi Hernandez. It was the Catalan uh, media Raku who reported all this and uh, from that moment on uh, speculations started uh, Xavi apparently was uh, very flattered by uh, the offer but uh, he said not, not yet because he is involved uh, with his team and they've got a, a final uh, on Friday then uh, Ronald Kuman was uh, also uh, asked about whether he wants to go to Barcelona or not. He said not yet either because he is the Dutch manager and he obviously will uh, command his team in the Euro Cup. And then the other one, according to Raku again, this uh, Catalan media that has probably the best contact. Uh, Mauricio Pochettino is another right. candidate that Barcelona board is uh, pondering at okay. the minute. And presumably he is too because he
1: he said previously, hadn't he, that he would never join Barcelona being a former Espanyol man? Yes, he
0: said that. And okay. he said that repeatedly a few times going for so many candidates and some of them are slightly different, uh, proves as well and shows you that uh, Barcelona doesn't have a sporting director yet. So they don't know exactly uh, who do they want right. and uh, the profile of manager that they want to have to succeed, Ernesto Valverde. All that said, the fact that the club has let all these stories leaked, uh, leave Valverde in a very bad place, uh, mm. probably the club hasn't been um, respectful enough with the manager who has won two leagues. And uh, on Monday, they had a meeting to resolve Valverde's future as we record the the word is that Ernesto Valverde is going to be sacked right. as Barcelona manager
2: yes finally yes and that's, a, that's and Jules who's uh,
1: not a Valverde fan Jules
2: Valverde. no never he's been never will I mean he came in and did an okay job in a club in crisis and won a couple of leagues and stuff mm-hmm. but he's destroyed Barca's style of football destroyed Frankie the youngest game this season I mean it's just, I think he was a bad manager. He was never fitting the Barca DNA right. and all of that. Jules
1: is one of those international you know, fans who's only seen the Champions yeah. League games, you know, the famous one.
2: I, 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 I agree with some of that.
0: Uh, because Bar- Thank you. Some of that. <laughs> uh, Barcelona won the... When Valverde signed as a Barcelona manager, uh-huh. Neymar and Iniesta played in that club. Right. And Neymar left like uh, three, four weeks, six weeks after he signed. Right. And Valverde probably were doing his plans about having the... Uh-huh. MSN up front to yeah. start with, and he invented something uh, which was playing with 4-4-2, for forgetting about the left flank, giving Jordi Alba all that, all that flank, and Barcelona won the title that year. And they lost the first game on the 13th of May. Um, wow. Some other clubs that we all know who they are have made a, a narrative about an unbeaten season. Barcelona wouldn't do it because they have won many Champions Leagues, so they don't have to. But that was a tremendous achievement. Uh, then the second season they won the Liga as well right. but with the first season they won it with 90-something points the uh-huh. second season with 80-something points and this season if they double up their tally now they will collect only 80 points Okay. Wow. so Valver- Valverde's Barcelona uh, relied on regularity yeah. in La Liga and this season they are not having it despite topping the table is right but a it's
4: league. not a it's the Liga
0: of the issue? is it the Champions League the Champions League is obviously the, <laughs> the main target for Barcelona the main target for Messi as well uh, Valverde got, obviously, the trust from the the board because he was winning La Liga. But what happened in Anfield uh, left a a very strong mark in him and Mm. Philippe Coutinho and and in Rome as well. And obviously, if Barcelona this season was worse than last season and the previous season, his name was going to be, obviously, uh, in danger. And I understand that he has been sacked. There are a few things that Valverde hasn't done well. Number one, the style, as you say, is not as good as it was before. Academy players haven't been promoted Mm -hmm. and Barcelona has lost the eagerness to produce heavy wins which is something that they had under Luis Enrique and under Guardiola as well. Barcelona, as soon as they have the 2-0 or the 1-0, they are satisfied. And that has been the problem. In La Liga, that is enough because normally it's difficult that teams beat you if you score first, if you are Barcelona and you score first. But in Champions League, that doesn't happen. And that has been Barcelona's main problem. The same regularity that they have in La Liga is not enough in European competition. Right. Okay. so they've decided that he's no longer the man for them because they only want the very, very best. What makes them
1: so convinced that Xavi, whose managerial experience is pretty limited so far, is
0: going to be that best? Well, because they they don't know what to do. They don't have a sporting director. Right. Therefore, they don't have a direction. Uh, They they tried to go for Xavi Hernandez. Xavi said no. Uh Uh, By the way, Xavi is not friends with this sporting team and Barcelona's board is not friends with uh, Bartomeu. Uh, in fact, Xavi was going to be the, the manager of the one of the candidates to be Barcelona president after the elections in 2021, right. but he wasn't Bartomeu's uh, candidate for the next elections. And uh, then Ronald Kuman, they just want to try to sign him because he, he belonged to Barcelona in the past, but there is no any reason behind that. Obviously, Barcelona needs a manager for the rest of the season. They cannot rely on the second manager because that happened in 2014 or 2013 when Jordi Roura took uh, the the job of Tito Villanova for different reasons. And that didn't happen. This is a team that is very used to the complacency of the players and they need a real manager. They don't need a second manager managing Mm. them. Is this going to cost them the title? Potentially, yes. And especially given that Real Madrid is doing so well now. Messi can win many games on his own, yeah. But uh, he cannot win a competition on his own. I'm sure that Lionel Messi will have a say on who Barcelona signs uh, because his contract expires in 2021. But uh, he can uh, trigger his release from Barcelona in 2020, in June, if he is not happy with what Barcelona offers him or presents him as a player. Okay.
1: Amidst all of this, Luis Suarez... The club is saying that he's going to be out for four months. He'll be 33 before he comes back, Alvaro.
0: Yes, and apparently he's out for four months yes. after undergoing a knee surgery. Mm. Uh, he had surgery on the same knee about uh, nine months ago, before Copa America started. And uh, well, now this opens up uh, plenty of possibilities for Barcelona. I wouldn't be surprised if they go to for a striker in the market. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, last yeah. summer, Sorry. last Sorry summer, summer in in January. Oh. In January, yeah, yeah. Who, to replace think? Luis Suarez, well. Thing is, not having a sporting director is very difficult to to guess or just to imagine who Barcelona could sign. Because last winter they signed Kevin Prince Boateng, right. for instance, a player who had a very marginal um, performer, and South right. Barcelona he only played a couple of cup games. Okay, when's Osman Dembele back then? Osman Dembele will be back in February, okay. as far as I can Facts remember. there. They've got yeah. Griezmann, of course, who could play more centrally. I was going to say that. Okay, that this is a good chance for Antoine Griezmann to, to play as a striker. He played like that for Atlético de Madrid for a number of years, and he's suited to the position. Obviously, Luis Suárez has scored uh, 14 goals this season already, and that's going to be very difficult to replace. But at the same time, uh, there are so many things to address at Barcelona that maybe this Luis Suárez thing is the smallest of all of them.
1: Now, you mentioned the Super Cup, which took place in Saudi Arabia, Real Madrid winning against Atletico Madrid in the final on penalties. Perhaps more heartwarming fare to be found in the Copa del Rey, second round of which took place this weekend, and Unionistas de Salamanca (laughs) uh, managed to put out uh, former champions Deportivo La Coruña. Why does everyone love Unionistas so much?
0: Well, um, this is a new club. Um, doesn't belong to the old uh, Salamanca. Mm-hmm. Uh, that team was dissolved and liquidated in 2013. And this is a team uh, made by fans and uh, with some uh, good sponsors like the likes of Vicente del Bosque. Okay. who uh, wanted to put some money into that. So
1: they've got a tiered system of, of, of fan participation whereby <laughs> the more money you pay, the more you can in, enjoy the... You know, so it's the like the real albiedo. Yeah. Very possibly, actually. Literally yeah. like that,
0: yeah. But they, they started in the
1: sixth division and already made it up to the third in the space of, what, about seven years?
0: Yes, at the minute, it's very interesting because there are more third-tier clubs than second-tier clubs. Okay. Thanks to this format in which uh, they play to one leg until the semi-final. The semifinal is two legs right. and then the final is one leg-, leg again. So they blend a little bit the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup to create a, an innovative uh, cup uh, format that... Mm. Uh, Obviously, I think that we have to be grateful in Spain for this to the Spanish FA because the Cup had lost a lot of interest in the past because the same teams were winning it every time. Uh, I I think that since 2007, only the big five have won it. Real Madrid, Atlético, Barcelona, Valencia and Sevilla. And this will at least... uh, Create a little bit more of uh, turmoil and probably nervousness among big teams because mm. they cannot definitely, not anymore, uh, play the first leg with a weak team and then uh, get the business done back at home in the in the second leg. I see. All right.
1: Anything else about uh, La Liga and Spanish football before we
0: move on, Álvaro? Uh, yes, of course. Real Madrid is the winner of the Super Cup, and that has yeah, to be said. All right. Well well done them. I know. I have to say something. Another classic. Uh, classic. No, but uh, but Cinedin Zidane has won uh, one title every 19 games as a Real Madrid manager. Good Lord. He's won every final,
4: no? Nine out of nine.
0: Every final. And, uh, well, Real Madrid in summer didn't look good. And we spoke about it. Mm. And we said that they didn't have enough midfielders. And we said that uh, the squad was not big enough. And uh, I don't know if it's good enough to beat Manchester City in Champions League. I really don't know that yet but they haven't lost since October and many players who, lo- who looked uh, outcasted casted away, sorry mm-hmm. uh, the likes of Isco, for example they are back and they are playing good football there is a new addition, Fede Valverde who is all together with Martin cynical tacklings.
6: suelta, atención para que corra Morata que
0: buen control orientado, Morata bueno, 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 bueno bueno,
1: bueno, bueno, bueno
0: cartulina roja para Fede Valverde That tackle was uh, terrible, Mm -hmm. but won the game for Real Madrid, effectively. A little bit like the handball of
4: Luis Suárez against Ghana. It made him a hero, though, no? Isn't it like, it it felt so Real Madrid, that tackle, red card, Ramos winning penalty. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, that's, those are the bastards I love.
2: Sergio (laughs) Ramos as well, who I'm sure, although he denies it, was was the fifth penalty taker, when he realised that it would not go to fifth, Uh but that the fourth, because of how many Atletico had missed yeah. we take it and score it and win it for Real Madrid he went, he, you could see you could see him talking to Mariano and say like, I know I'm going and then he obviously goes scores the winner then celebrate like Cristiano and all of that he got the glory yeah.
0: Trippier
4: mm. was the only uh, Atletico player to score his penalty yeah. oh. mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Atletico were awful in the penalty shootout and Jano right. Black uh, as it happened in Champions League 2016 didn't save a single penalty either. Uh, he's a great goalkeeper but in the penalty shootout he hasn't been able to produce
5: You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson.
1: Rafa. Hello. Hello. I'm yeah, you are here. All Hi. tanned and relaxed. Yeah, was drag it drag drag was drag. hard work. It drag was drag drag hard drag. work.
3: Lots of driving around. On your hog. <laughs> uh, no, no, in a, in, in a car, in a rental car. Okay. For, what was the weather like?
4: came into a leather jacket, looking like Negan yeah. from The Walking your Dead.
2: Tan, mm. uh, your tan, seeing your tan, and he you, just
3: parked you, his I motorcycle mean, outside.
2: To, uh, your imagination. Seeing your yeah, tan, listen, you clearly uh, had a lot of time to sunbathe as well. Okay, it so the Bundesliga warm, is on nice. a
1: break,
3: and pretty much all
2: eighteen Almost, clubs yeah.
3: have have headed down to Spain. Mm. Well, Spain was number one destination for German clubs. Uh, especially Costa de Sol, um, very very popular. Dortmund were in the bay. Um, Hoffenheim and Düsseldorf were in the bay as well. Schalke were near Muthia, and um, Gladbach were in Chers, next to the uh, former uh, racing uh, course of Formula One. Uh, there's lots of uh, motorcycles now going on that race course. So <laughs> a lot of uh, rrr, rrr, rrr in the background, hmm, okay. uh, even when Some they were testing, when they were playing, testing. yeah. Um, and yeah, lots of, lots of clubs from Holland as well. The Belgians were there. Everyone seemed to descend on uh, on Southern Spain. And it was a pretty good idea because the weather was stunning. Um, there's always a certain sense of, yes, we're working hard, but at least we're doing it in a nice space rather than at home where it's cold and rainy and stuff. So players, I think, are a little bit happier going away in these sort of circumstances. Um, if they can't be at home, at least they... You know, they're in an interesting place. And uh, it proved quite productive, I think, for, for one or two of these clubs. Uh, the interesting thing, I think, was that Dortmund almost sort of made it their transfer window and their, their January because of the, uh, the Haaland deal. Right. And uh, you could see uh, Michael talk, the sporting director, uh, for a week. He basically did not stop smiling. Um, you know, walking around the Marbella, just really, really happy with, with what they had achieved. Neither did Mino. Uh, probably yeah. not, probably not. And uh, Haaland had his first uh, game time as well. He, he played against Mainz, I think for a half. I didn't, I didn't see that game, I was flying back. But yeah, Dortmund are really, really happy that they've gotten. What about
4: Weigel as well? Weigl's gone Weigl's to has gone, Benfica. yeah. I mean,
3: 20 million euros for, for Weigl is, is another reason, I think, why Zork was running around with a big smile. Mm. Um, he was mostly being played as a centre-back by Lucien Favre, which is, I don't think, his best position. Right. And I hope that he can resurrect his career a little bit because he was, you know, three or four years ago seen as Mm -hmm. one of the possible heirs to Toni Kroos or, you know, Bastian Schweinsteiger in in the central midfielder for Germany. Really cultured player. Uh, Under Thomas Tuchel, he played some really amazing stuff. He was linked with Man City uh, for obvious reasons because he is very much a pet player, or he was at his uh, pomp, so it'd be nice to see him uh, rediscover some of that form. But yeah, the, I mean, Dortmund have had a very good window, but in a sense, it's also increased the pressure on Favre because he's only had 30 points in the first half of the season. If they do the same thing again, they get nowhere near winning the league, which was their stated target this season. It might not even be enough to get into the Champions League because they've got Schalke and others breathing down their neck. So um, this sort of uncomfortable truce or or just sort of you know we're continuing with Favre because we don't really know who else to go for we will continue with even more pressure in the second half of the season they're currently lying in fourth place as you say on 30.7 off the top is Haaland enough to make a difference I think it'll make a difference up front because it almost forces Favre to play a little bit differently you know Dortmund they they approach in a very specific manner they play the ball around they sort of create little triangles they overload certain areas and then they play and play and play and they will only take shots once they're actually in front of goal so in a way it's a it's a very controlled almost tiki-taka-esque way of playing which when it works is beautiful when it doesn't it gets the crowd a little bit annoyed because they want more more oomph they want people in the box they want crosses coming in before Haaland's arrival there was no point to cross for anyone because uh, Paco Alcázar is is not a guy who's going to s- score lots of goals with his head that's even when he's on the pitch he's had lots of injury problems uh, without him it's either been uh, Götze or Hazard uh, Torgen Hazard that is or Royce uh, playing as a force nine and I think it's almost that's my reading of the situation that by buying Haaland Dortmund as represented by the border basically trying to twist Father's arm a little bit and say you know what we have to centre forward now you need to play him and the team need to play for him I think it'll make a difference but the bigger issue for Dortmund is that the defence has been absolutely disastrous uh, they just cannot control the game they cannot control oppositions without the ball and unless uh, they really sharpen up in that, uh, in that sense I don't see them getting anywhere near Leipzig and, and, and Bayern Bayern, who have now uh, acquired the services of Alexander Nurbel. Well, not yet. Have they not? No. They've signed him, but he will arrive in the summer. Okay, what does this mean for Manuel Neuer? Well, that's exactly the, the interesting question. I mean, Nuber comes on a free deal. He's out of contract in the summer. Bayern and Schalke have announced the deal. Schalke, very, very upset in the press statement, and said, well, we accept the decision, but we don't understand it. Meow. <laughs> Meow. Um, so they they feel that, you know, as a captain, he's now actually lost his armband because of that decision, but mm. the former captain, I should say, he was going to be the face of this new Schalke under David Wagner, it's emerging, it's starting to sort of, yeah, uh, living a, a renaissance, if you will. But uh, he's gone, or he will be gone, and it creates a problem for Schalke, but it also, um, ironically, creates a problem for Bayern because Manuel Neuer, who's out of contract in 2021, And who was, I think, pretty decided that he was going to stay um, pending one or two things like who's the new manager, for example, going forward. Now have a guy there who will not be prepared to just wait around forever for Neuer to step down. Mm. Uh, I don't think Neuer wants to step down. He's given some very aggressive um, interviews saying the fact that will comes for me does not matter at all and this kind of stuff, so...
4: Bayern have been very protective of him vis-à-vis the German national team as well.
3: Exactly, well, overprotective, I think you might say. So, unless there's a kind of clear arrangement with Nubel that you'll have to buy this time and have to just simply wait, it it will cause some friction. There was even a story during the rounds Mm. which Bayern have very strongly denied that Nubel has a clause in his contract guaranteeing him a certain amount of games. Hmm. Now, the one thing you can say which may be justified this decision or maybe two things is one that Nubel is very much the next big thing. Okay. Apart from Ter Stegen, who's probably the best goalkeeper already at the moment. And that Mano Neuer has missed quite a few games over the last few years. Uh, and whenever he hasn't been there, uh, Sven Ulreich, his deputy, you remember that game against uh, Real Madrid where mm.
0: he yeah. really didn't
3: yeah. do very well at all. A cantada, yeah. not named after Oliver Kahn, but the Spanish um, <laughs> <Right>. expression <laughs> good, yes. for a, a papera, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. a nice. goalkeeping blunder. Mm. Um So they'll definitely have an upgrade on him, but but maybe at the cost of having disharmony in the dressing room. Crikey. Although sometimes that can be a good thing. You can have too much
1: harmony in the dressing room.
3: Uh, Nubal, for those of us who know him for that uh, Schumacher-esque challenge against Frankfurt, (laughs) is he actually a good keeper? He is a good keeper. I mean, that challenge was, was, was very bad, and he's been rightly suspended for a few weeks for that. But, yeah, I mean, he was already... Close to signing for Bayern last year, mm-hmm. but I think they ultimately decided that they could wait a year and take him for free. It's a sort of classic Bayern ploy, if you will, uh, and one of the reasons why um, you know opposition teams aren't always uh, overly enamoured with with their dealings in the transfer market. But yeah, it's worked out well in a financial sense. They certainly won't lose any money on him. He's certainly going to be a hot prospect going forward. But the question is, how can they pacify the very ambitious Manuel Neuer J- just to go back on Haaland. They could play him in midfield perhaps.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's, <laughs> a, that's a possibility. Why not RB Leipzig then? And why th- what was the the key thing that made him Mino? <laughs> no, could it be, I mean could it be Mino and the yeah. commission for I mean, agents or...
3: if you speak to the people close to him in Norway, they say that ultimately financially it didn't really make much difference where they yeah. Uh, it would have gone. the The money was more or less the same in all these places. Leipzig, I think, on paper would have paid a little bit less, but he might have then had a nice sponsorship deal with Red Bull, being the testimonial and holding up cans in his free time. So, I think the the money wouldn't really have would have been more or less the same everywhere. And I think I believe them when they say, you know what out of all the prospects in a pure sporting and maybe emotional sense, Dortmund just seemed the most attractive. I think, first of all, they could offer him something that the others couldn't, which is you're going to be the main focal point of our attack. You're not going to be the guy next to Timo Werner. You're not going to be the guy next to Marcus Rashford or Ronaldo or you know Higuain mm. uh, or Dybala. You're going to be the guy and we'll all play for you. And you'll do that at a club with 80,000 people and uh, you know, huge emotions and a real chance to, to win a title that will mean more at that club than perhaps at some of the others uh, where they've been more blessed with recent success. Of course, that doesn't necessarily explain why he didn't go to Leipzig because yeah, some yeah, of those yeah. factors exist there as well. I think ultimately the answer was the one I was given is that he just felt like more, a bigger pull by Dortmund um, having never played for a, you know, for sort of a blue chip a uh, club with a big following, I think it just felt a little bit sexier. Although as a, as a pure sporting proposition, you might have said that Leipzig actually have a better opportunity to win something in the immediate future. And the Nagelsmann have probably a better coach, uh, especially when it comes to helping forwards to to improve. Yeah. But I guess, and again, it's something that you sort of pick up, is Dortmund and Haaland maybe already looking beyond uh, Favre and uh, see what will happen after that.
1: Very shortly, we'll be looking at some of your Twitter questions. Thanks for those. And also hearing what Alan Pardew's up to now. Woof. First, though, here comes Paddy Power with producer Ben. Messy Buku Jimbo. Hello,
5: listeners. It's time to talk Euro Odds with Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, let's start with Germany. Dortmund have, of course, signed Erling Brut Haaland. Will they be lifting the Bundesliga trophy come the end of the
6: season? Hmm. They've got big Erling Haaland but they've got little hope in terms of the title according to the numbers anyway. Our odds put them third in the betting, one place higher than the Bundesliga standings at 10 to 1 to win the league. Leaders Leipzig are ahead of them at 21 to 10, while third-place Bayern, who are 4 points behind Red Bull, are our odds-on favorites to win the Bundesliga at 4 to 9, while Gladbach, who are second and just 2 points off top spot, are 22 to 1 to be German champions.
5: Over to Syria. hours. where Zlatan is off the mark again at Milan. How many goals will he have scored come the end of the campaign?
6: <laughs> well, now he's off the mark, we're back in Zlatan to get quite a few. It's evens, so effectively 50-50, that he gets to double figures and scores 10 or more Serie A goals. It's 11-4, to he scores 12 or more in the league. And 11-1, to he hits 15 or more. And that really would be lion energy.
5: And finally, Lee, over to Spain where Julen Lopetegui goes back to the Bernabeu with Sevilla this weekend. What's going to happen when they face Real Madrid?
6: Yeah, awkward. Last time Lopetegui faced Real, his side lost 1-0 and we don't think they'll do any better this time, either. A Madrid win is odds-on at 8-15, to with Sevilla 4-1 to outsiders. Or you can get 13-10, to they avoid defeat. That bet is called double chance in our markets. The draw here is to 16-5, and another 1-0 win to Real Madrid is 15-2. to
1: You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over-18s only. Terms and conditions apply. When the fun stops... Stop. Guy Fraser wants to know who's this guy Norwich have signed from Hertha and also says guy what are the optics for the Catroni Fiorentina deal to be permanent thanks it is a 2 year loan yes um
4: but um Fiorentina have to buy him after oh well it's actually 18 what months cuz it happened in in January so they they will buy him uh for for a established fee of, of 16 million euro
1: so they have to buy him yeah there's been some
4: speculations so they bought this, him yeah, it's it's a way of
2: so you're just paying uh, yeah, pay. yeah.
4: So he came on at the weekend, he almost scored a delightful back heel. Um, and yeah, has made this move with the Euros in mind because clearly he wasn't playing as much as he aspired to at, uh, at Wolves. Um so part of a very young forward line um Fiorentina if you discount uh, Frank Ribery with uh, what Dusan Vlahovic and
1: Federico Chiesa.
3: Meanwhile, who is it that Norwich have signed from her to Berlin, rapper? They have signed a 25-year-old attacking midfielder, mm. Slovakian international. Andre Duda. Yeah. Goes by the nickname of Little Artist. I'm not, I'm not sure how real that name is. I mean, Pardada, I mentioned it once, I think, in a press conference. Okay. Um, he's a number 10. Right. Um, the sort of player that uh, would fit into Norwich's system, you know, be good in link up, playing behind a striker, taking up interesting positions and pockets of space, da-da-da. What he hasn't done uh, is really been convincing this season. Only seven games, I think one assist, uh, no goals, uh, very much surplus to requirements on the Klinsmann's uh, new regime. So, yeah, uh, whether he'll be sort of enough to make the real difference for, for Norwich in a relegation battle, I'm not 100% sure.
1: OK. Uh, in the meantime, Steve Malanga would like to know how soon or how long before a big German club comes for
3: Ralf Hasenhüttl? Well, Hasenhuttle after his first season at Leipzig was very much um, a thing. And I think was somebody that Bayern looked at at the time and Dortmund as well. Then his second season didn't go nearly as well. And um, I think that's why, in inverted commas, he only uh, got the Southampton job. But because he's doing really well, I think, again, he'll be, he'll be coming into contention. Fairly soon,
2: right? It seems that he had only one way of playing at Leipzig, and whatever, whoever they were playing against. Remember, how we we used to do it a lot on EFS, It was just like press, press, press. Yeah, it was just one yeah, thing. It I seemed mean, that maybe he tried to change.
3: Mature, his... He tried to change in the second season, and and some people at Leipzig said, "Well, the the, the problem that they had in the second season was that had actually moved away from some of the pressing game. They tried to be more possession oriented." but they lost the aggressiveness and the ability to win the ball back quickly in, in the process. And uh, then Rangnick came in and turned the clock back and they were yeah. again playing that pressing game. So I think with better players, he can play football. And Southampton have played some good football in possession as well.
2: Yeah. All
0: right. And ask asks, will Adama Traore make Spain's Euro squad? It's a possibility. Okay. It is, yeah, because Robert Moreno uh, tried to cap him in... Uh, October or November, I don't remember when, and then Adama Traore picked an injury and he couldn't play for Spain, but it is a possibility because there are many places up for grabs up front. Morata, Oyarzabal and perhaps Sarabia are the only ones who more or less seem to be sure in mm-hmm. that uh, final squad, and Adam Traore has a chance, definitely. OK.
1: Joe Misselmela says, one for James, what's behind Verona's rise up the table? Well, it's quite astonishing, really, um, because Ivan
4: Juric, um, well, let's let's look at Sunday's game, shall we? The 2-1 win against Genoa, side that, mm. sacked Juric three times, um, and he was only ever good for beating Juventus. That's all he did. Um, and he got this job, and some people were quite surprised that he got it because he didn't uh, come up with Verona. Um, they sacked the guy who got them up in the playoffs and sacked Fabio Grosso just before the playoffs. And the only player they signed for money was Rachmani, um, the the centre back. Um, the rest were all loans or done very cheaply. And um, they are a mini Atalanta insofar as Juric um, is a disciple of his, played under him for a long time. They play with the kind of same aggression um, and have really been able to get performances out of no name players. I think they're one of those teams which. Knew that if they were to stay up, they had to all group together and be greater than the sum of their parts. I think there's a humility there which um, has allowed them to succeed where maybe some of the other promoted teams um, haven't. But they're eighth. Yeah, yeah. They've
1: f- What four points off the potential European League
4: Yeah, and roof, they've, and they've, they've spot. played really hard against all of the uh, all of the big sides. Were it not for the fact that um, you know they've. Uh, occasionally been involved in some racist incidents, Yeah, you know, some of their fans, um, I think they would be talked of as, as, as more of a, a feel-good story. Right. Uh, were Juric a little bit less
1: drab um, than
4: right. he is? Um, they, because, they did have
1: a bit of colour this weekend, though, when their match kicked off 15 minutes late.
4: <laughs> yes, they did, because um, uh, the referee, the match officials, uh, were inspecting the pitch and found that the, uh, the lines for the penalty area were wonky and, wonky, and needed yeah. repainting.
1: Right? Have they been done by the same people who do Stockley Park's VAR? <laughs>
4: <laughs> Possibly, um, but uh, yeah, Verona, um, yeah. In some respects, people. How do they?
1: How do they get rid of the old line?
2: What did they do with the old line? Do they wash it off? Or yeah, something? you wash it off. You can wash it off. Yeah. So, so somebody came on with a mop. And, and then, then you know you've got that machine that usually stays straight. Yeah. Fair, but.
3: They got Diego Maradona in. <laughs>
2: Naughty. Right. <laughs> okay.
1: Uh, Guy Lecon says, lots of speculation linking Allegri with a Man United job. Is there any truth he's waiting to get the United job? What would he bring to Old Trafford, etc., and so on? <laughs> Allegri to Man United? Or is he being kept for next season at Milan?
4: Well, I interviewed Allegri in December. Yes. And he was very, um, I mean, he cut us short when we asked him about um, whether he would take a job. Uh, between now and the end of the season, he said uh, in June and in June only. Mm. Um, seems to be really kind of enjoying his, his time out um, of the game. I've been told by kind of friends of his that of the clubs in England that appeal to him, uh, United is, is definitely one. It's certainly in terms of profile and status on a similar level to uh, when, where Milan were when he took over there and Juventus, of course. I think there are some doubts about the structure at United. Um, maybe doubts that um, would not preclude him going there. But Allegri um, has always had an Adriano Galliani behind him. He's always had a Fabio Paratici or Beppe Marotta behind him. Strong sporting directors. And one of the lines he said was that, um, you know, when there is no structure, there's chaos. And I felt that before. Damn, he's a a philosopher too. That was when there was... uh, Barbara Berlusconi and Adriano Galliani at Milan and that was kind of precipitated his downfall there so I think there is I think well certainly people around him feel that that the structure needs to be absolutely right and one of the things he said again um, was that um, he wants to get this choice right um, because it's a big uh, it's a big step in his career whether he stays in Italy or or goes somewhere else and with the results that he's had over the last eight years uh, he doesn't want to go and you know, find himself in a position where it tarnishes his reputation. Right?
3: How oh, is his English coming on?
4: <laughs> well, in the two-hour conversation, he didn't speak a word of English. Right. Um, but he yeah. is he is doing English lessons in Milan. Um, he says that um, his speaking is 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 okay. His reading is very good. Sometimes he needs someone by him to help him with the listening. Uh, if particularly if people um, speak quickly, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the intention is what, there to ke- keep what, improving his English. Although, I don't think England necessarily is uh, is the absolute
1: nailed-on next destination. Yeah, for I was going to say. I mean, you've been very measured, but what's your sensation? Where do you think he'll be next season?
4: One of the things that I came away from that interview with was I felt if Pep were to leave Manchester City,
1: right. Watch this space. I see. <laughs> Before we finish, perhaps the biggest European news of all. Alan Pardew is the new Den Haag manager. And he's taking Chris Powell with him. Did you know about this? No. Yes. So, Den Haag is second bottom in the Eredivisie. Uh, they've only had three wins from 18 matches so far this season. But that, of course, would be an improvement for Alan Pardew, who famously, in his last managerial role, only had one win in 18 at West Brom. One win and a disastrous trip to Spain where the players ran away with the taxi. Yeah. Uh, but anyway see he's now taken over Eredivisie is on the winter break at the moment his first game back will be at home to apologies for my pronunciation Valvik who are bottom
2: of the Eredivisie uh, they
3: also in Marbella, but oh, I they? didn't hear of any incidents okay
2: obviously Steve, Steve McLaren yes did quite well at least for a short space of time with so 20 in, in Holland
1: yeah but there are problems at Den Haag the club has been torn apart by infighting. A senior member of the coaching staff had a fight with a player and he was sacked by the club and then the manager, Alphonse Grunendag, quit because of the lack of support from Den Haag's Chinese owner. And that's the seething cauldron that uh, Alan Pardew has walked in. But I tell you what, if anyone's going to take that situation by the throat, slam it against the wall and lay down the law, it's King Pards. And they a to dance as well, maybe. Perhaps, you know, Perhaps. once they're in the cup final. Why not? As ever, we'll be covering that and all the other big European stories right here on the Tuesday edition of the Totally Football Show. Thanks for taking part today, Alvaro Romeo. Thank you. James Horncastle. Pleasure. Raphael Honigstein and Julien Laurent. Merci. And you, listener, for providing the most important element, your ears. We'll be back next week. Do have a great time till then.
5: You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, a Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddynewsmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter, and make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Muddy News
3: Media.